Good evening, everybody. If you'd like to keep a bookmark open in the Romans passage and keep it open in Colossians, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, would you give me the words to speak? And would those words be truth? Amen. What do you like to hide? What do you like to keep safe so that no one will be able to find? Passports? Money? Jewellery? Treasures? Where is the best hiding spots that you are certain no one will be able to find? I remember making a piece of furniture when I worked as a cabinet maker. The client came in and wanted a cabinet to store all his expensive sunglasses and watches and other treasures but also to be included in the cabinet was a secret drawer where he could keep his passports and money. When the client came to pick up the cabinet, we got him to try and find this secret compartment. And after a few minutes, he gave up. We had to show him that there was a seamless drawer behind another drawer. And from the passage in Colossians, we will see that we have a hidden treasure that the people can't see. It's hidden with Christ in God something so secure that not even a burglar or Satan himself can take away or separate us from the love of God. But before we start to unpack chapter 3, it's important to look at the end of chapter 2, 16 to 23 in Colossians. This helps um, set the context of our passage and gives us insight into the religious activities and why Paul is writing this letter. Paul's letter to Colossae was a letter to the church and other churches. There were some dodgy things going on at the time in the church. There were false teachers, self-imposed worship, followers distracted and enticed by the appearance of wisdom, false humility, and obeying man-made rules and practices and boasting about seeing visions. All these things are seen as nonsense because their minds were filled with selfish desires and none of them None of this had any power to restrain from sensual indulgence. Verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Well, spirituality often seems impressive if it's visible, even sounds attractive. Well, it's a common world view. The culture of finding yourself with externally focused religion or practices is enticing. We feel like we deserve it if we earn it. Other religions, like the rise of Islam, rely on what they have to do to earn salvation, whereas we as Christians, we rely on what's already been done. Well, like Wayne mentioned last week, we like the idea of earning our salvation because we don't have to rely on Jesus as much. People in the church were so connected to Jesus, they were so connected because they were already raised with Christ, yet they wanted to be more impressive by how they were seen to obey the rules made by man and Jewish tradition. Verse 16 says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. 
Remember, the Sabbath day was all about the many rules and keeping them. And this was their primary focus. They were so concerned with the rules, don't handle this, don't taste that, don't touch this, but in reality, they were moving so far away from God, even to the extent they'd lost connection with the head. Verse 19. They'd been cut off and made useless. Well, even a chicken, when it loses connection with its head, can last for a little bit, but it won't last long. Are we drawing on Christ's spiritual power or some man-made religious substitute? Back in the time of this letter, about 60 AD, pagan religions didn't say much about personal reality, morality. What someone believed had no relationship with how they behaved and no one would condemn them or rebuke them for their behaviour. But as Christians, what we believe has a very definite connection in how we, be- we behave, which is evident of our close relationship with Jesus and the unity that we have with him. In our passage today, we see in verses 1 to 4, the emphasis on our relationship with Christ, past, present and future. We have been raised with Christ, that's the past, hidden with Christ in God, the present, and we will appear with him in glory, the future. So that's raised, hidden, and will appear with Christ in glory. So the church wanted godly lives. Spiritual growth and holiness doesn't come from trying to be good or from good morals. It comes when Jesus is at the centre of all we do and all we say and we're under the understanding that we're united with Christ. Well, we as Richmond Anglican Church, we can look at the church in Colossae and be judgmental. But in reality, we may as well be looking at a mirror Because as Paul reminder, uh, his reminder in Colossians could be written to our church, could have been read out to our church like it was back then, because it's still relevant to us today. We have been raised with Christ, verses 1 to 4. As believers, we have been identified with Christ. Christ is seated at God's right hand, and we are also seated there too, in Christ. Since then... Set your hearts and your minds on things above and not on earthly things. And our focus is to be just that. Well, some of you may know I lived in Vancouver for a while and there was a local ski mountain called Grouse Mountain, which is not too far from the city. You could catch the gondola up to the top or in the summer you could climb the mountain, climb something called the Grouse Grind, which is 2.2 kilometres of rocky, uneven stairs over an elevation of 800 metres. That's 2.2 kilometres, 800 metres high. Well, it was a very popular challenge for people all over the city, and it was difficult even to go slow, let alone race it. When you entered the start gate, all you could think of was getting to the top. You had to keep your eyes and your mind on things above you because the sheer steepness and the rocky steps and unevenness, you could lose your footing. Well, the reward at the top was breathtaking. You could look over the city and beyond. Well, think about what is up there and not what is down here on earth. We still need to do Christ's work on earth. Be in the world, not of the world. Not being so distracted with heaven that we're useless on earth. You know how you can be listening, but your mind's on other things. You're not really listening. Or you might be at work and all you can think about is that concert that night. Or if uh, you might be 
talking to a beautiful woman and all you can think about is her beauty. She might say, hello, John, but your reply is, good thanks yourself. (laughs) Set your hearts and minds on things above. Strive to put heaven's priorities into daily practices. In other other words, concentrate on what is eternal and not what is temporary. For you died. Romans 6.1-2, if you've got it there. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So in principle, you have died with Christ to the old life and risen with him into a new one. Therefore, become what you are. We should have little or no desire for worldly desires or material gain as someone who is dead. This view gives us a different perspective of how we should live our lives, seek Christ's desires rather than our obsession with sensuality and leisure, self-fulfilling activities. For you died, verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. For you, that's every Christian, has a hidden life. If you're a true Christian, you belong to a church. And we have a hidden life as a church. Not a double life that we hope no one sees. There is a difference. Living a double life that includes the things that belong to our earthly nature, like in verses 5 to 9. We don't want people to see those. Now, true life is hidden with Christ in God. We no longer belong to the world. So set your hearts and your minds on things above where our real treasure is. All the treasures are hidden from the human eye. And it's possible to look at the church and not see anything really that uh, impressive or important. Every visible church struggles to have an impact in the world. What does the, what does the world have to say about it? Well, from the outside, they might think it looks a bit silly, maybe anti-intellectual or even weak. True life of the church is invisible. It's hidden. What people don't see is that we have shared in the life, the death and the glorification with Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ. See, I found, I found that a little bit difficult to understand. It took me a while to get my head around it. And at times this truth can be hidden from us. We feel distance from God through a lack of understanding. Take prayer, for example. So we, we get discouraged when God maybe answers our prayers or maybe from our perception of him not answering our prayers. But remember, God answers all prayers. At times, do you doubt your salvation? Don't. We must not believe these lies, for our lives are hidden with Christ, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. We are stored, we are secure, and we are hidden and so unified with Christ that nothing can separate us from the unity and assurance we have with Jesus. When you become a Christian, you die with Christ, you are raised with Christ to a new life, serving God, and are seated with Christ. Therefore, verse 5, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So I think we're too polite when it comes to thinking about these things in the categories. The mindset of things on earth. Well, to set our minds on things above will change our lives and our relationships with our neighbours, our workmates, and even people at church. We need to immerse ourselves in relationships where we need to forgive each other, rebuke and be real with each other. 
The only way we can approach these issues is to have close relationships where keeping each other accountable is seen as something normal. We need to be intentional with our relationships. Continue to meet, talk and pray with other committed brothers and sisters. Don't just rely on turning up to church on a Sunday and expect our earthly nature desires to stop. Imagine if someone new turned up to church and the first thing you ask them is, how are you going with your sexual immorality? We need to establish relationships first and we need to trust that Jesus has the power to help us overcome the sin in our lives and that the Holy Spirit can enable us to overcome the sexual immorality, the impurity, the lust, evil desires and greed. We need to take our sin seriously, verse 6, because the wrath of God is coming. When we read lists in the Bible like our passage, I think we brush over them too quickly or we may not understand them entirely. Well, people don't like to hear it either. It's negative. Did he just say that? I don't want to listen to this. But I think it's important to have a look more closely and identify what may be plaguing our lives and taking us further away from God. We have died with Christ, verse 3. So we have the spiritual power to put to death the earthly desires and the temporary pleasures that want to control us. Let's go through them. Sexual immorality, that's listed first because I think it was just as much of a problem back then as it is for us today. It's anything outside the context of marriage which includes pornography, lust, fornication, adultery, masturbation, fantasy and prostitution. Impurity, worthless or dangerous material that should be removed, unclean, filth, obscene or dirty. Lust, a psychological force producing intense wanting for an object or circumstance which includes sexuality, money or power. Evil desires, a strong feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen that is morally wrong, bad or wicked. And greed, which is idolatry, excessive desire to acquire or possess more than you need. Idolatry is the worship, admiration and love for something or someone other than God. Well, in Romans um, 6, 11 to 14, it says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as, as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Consider yourselves dead to sin. You remember in Matthew when Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. But sin doesn't come from the eye or from the hand. It comes from the heart and the evil desires within. Well, there's a story I read from England centuries ago if a pickpocket was convicted his left hand was amputated. If convicted a second time, his right hand was amputated. Well, there was one particular pickpocket who lost both hands, yet continued his trade by using his teeth. We can put barriers up to help stop us from sinning, but we must realise that it's a heart issue. If a sinful thought enters our minds and we start to entertain that thought, it will lead to action. We need to renounce the thought, 
and set our hearts on things above. It then goes on to list sins that we, from maybe a human perspective, might think, you know, they're not that bad. Or maybe we're so desensitized to them that it's just someone's character or maybe their trait. And they, they are anger. Anger is a strong emotion or feeling that is toward a real or supposed grievance. Then there's rage. It's an intense, uncontrolled anger. Malice, the desire to harm someone or wanting to see others suffer. Slander, the action or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. And filthy language, socially offensive language which may also be called swear words, crude language, coarse language or blasphemous language. See, the first list tells us to put to death, whereas the second list tells us to rid yourself. The first list included our sensual sins, while the second list includes our social sins. We are accustomed to these social sins, but we would be shocked to see someone in the church commit a sensual sin. In verse 11, it talks about the human distinctions. Human distinctions and differences should be no barrier when it comes to living a godly or holy life. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile or a Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. In Jesus, all human distinctions are made equal. All the distinctions belong to the old way of life, and we are all one in Jesus. Well, Christ's eternity has invaded time, making salvation a present experience as well as a future hope. We see the opposing aspects in the passage being morals and ethics, then and therefore, past and present, old and new, putting off and putting on. And in principle, you have died with Christ to the old life and risen with him to the new one. Seek what is above. Let it direct your life. The assurance of appearing, appearing with Christ should direct our hearts and our minds. Well, we who are in the know knew exactly where that compartment was hidden in the cabinet. And we as Christians know exactly where our lives are hidden with Christ. We have a hidden treasure that gives us hope and a life on earth worth living. So let's encourage each other to set our minds on things above and not on earthly things.